0: Welcome back to Season 2 of Suiting Up Varsity, a podcast dedicated to the sound of the band, the smell of popcorn, the feel of an old letter jacket, the sight of teenagers hoisting trophies high above their heads, and most of all, to the grand history and fantastic stories of Nebraska prep sports. Join us as we look back in time at the great moments from a century-plus of Nebraska high school athletics. This week, we travel again to Omaha in the fall of 1964, Just a week after the Creighton Prep win over Omaha North that we dropped in on last week, this time we are about four miles to the west and a little bit north of Rosenblatt at a brand new Berquist Stadium at Norris Junior High, and we are watching an Omaha-Lincoln battle as the Benson Bunnies are hosting the Northeast Rockets in a game with state title implications. From our spot in the Berquist Bleachers, we see a game that is living up to its billing. Northeast, in black jerseys and helmets and their black on one side, white on the other, mod-style pants, is trailing the bunnies 13-7 with less than a minute to go. But the Rockets are threatening inside the Benson 10-yard line. Benson, in their green pants and white jerseys – remember, most Nebraska high schools wore their whites at home for football until the middle of the 70s – are digging in for one last stand. The middle of the Benson defense, tackles Davis Byrne and All-Stater Bruce Fisher, have been the difference all night, as the flashy Northeast offense has been forced into sputter mode for three-plus quarters. The Rockets have been held without a first down for the entire first half while Benson picked up a TD on a run by bunny all-time great Randy Reeves, just a junior, in 1964. Of course, when we left this Nebraska high school football season last week, we had spent a lot of time talking about a conference that never was, the Quinn Cities, and this game we looked down upon as part of that failed experiment. The Quinn was an attempt to unite the largest Omaha, Lincoln, and outstate schools under one conference banner. That effort flamed out before a single conference game could be played, but after the 1964 football schedules were already in place. Today, we'll look at how the season played out, including this Bunny Rocket showdown, how the strange scheduling of 1964 affected that season, and what sense the prep Raiders finally made out of the top teams when all the games had been played. Prep's 13-16 win over Omaha North at Rosenblatt Stadium happened on October 23rd, in week seven of the schedule. When that score hit the wires, the focus of the Raiders turned to Lincoln and the team that was dominating the national division of the non-existent Quinn Cities, Lincoln Northeast. The Rockets, because of the collapse of the Quinn Cities, were playing the only school year in the history of the high school in which they had no conference affiliation. What the Rockets did have, though, was a full city round-robin schedule, which had finally been established in 1958. Well, a public school round-robin. Despite assurances to Pius when the Thunderbolts were left out of the Quinn Cities, only Southeast played Pius in 64. And Northeast entered Week week 8, unbeaten, Untied and undisputed champs of the capital city. They had beaten both Southeast and High by 20 points, and Southeast would beat Pius this same week to wipe out any argument there. The Rockets and coach Al Bauer were riding a 19 game win streak that stretched all the way back to a loss to Hastings in October of 1962. This game against Benson was putting the new number one team in the state to the test right away. Northeast had finally got going in the third quarter with a 78-yard drive begun by a Benson fumble and finished with a Bob Scott to Gary Thompson touchdown pass. Scott will be a unanimous All-State selection for the Rockets when the year ends. The game stood 7-7 entering the final quarter. We've got a great view of the end of that quarter as we look west from the Berquist stands, but we are fighting for elbow room. The original plan for this stadium at Norris was for 10,000 seats and the name Kinnick Stadium after the 1936 Benson grad and Iowa Heisman Trophy winner Niles Kinnick. But when bids came into the school board, they were too high in the spring of 63. So OPS scaled the plan down to 5,000 seats and changed the name to Berquist to honor a former OPS official. They eventually did build Kinnick Stadium at Omaha Northwest High School about a decade after this. Tonight, those extra seats would help as 6,000 fans have crowded the one-sided stadium and they watched Benson take the lead in the fourth quarter. The Bunnies had squandered an earlier interception return to the Northeast 13, but they wouldn't let that happen in the final five minutes when they drove from their own 48 all the way to the Rockets' sixth on the strength of runs by halfbacks Dan Bacon, Gus Berry, and Reeves. Quarterback Bob Magnuson did the rest with three straight quarterback sneaks. The last of these created the 13-7 lead that we see on the scoreboard as we watch Northeast quarterback Scott settle the black and white over the ball at the Bunny 7-yard line. There are 49 seconds left. We are on the edge of our seats as Bob Scott drops back to pass looking for one more big play in this surprise of a rocket season. At the beginning of the year, Northeast had only seven letter winners back from their team that was denied a state title in both newspapers in favor of Creighton Prep in 1963, despite being 9-0. The Rockets will fall just short again this year as Benson defensive back Bob Holmes snares that pass in the end zone to preserve the bunny win and add the inside track to the state title to their catbird seat in the new Metro Conference. Across town, Creighton Prep is beating up on six-year-old Bishop Ryan High School, 39 to zero, as Gernon Longo scores three TDs. The Junior Jays will now hope for a North upset of Benson in the North Side rivalry season finale. Prep is left needing help because of a surprising early season defeat at the hands of a three-loss Omaha West Side team. Benson's own question mark came out of conference play in Week Five. Right after their 13-13 tie with Prep, they traveled to Fremont and got whacked 28-7. Fremont isn't a state title contender because the Tigers have big losses to Northeast, Southeast, and Westside but they were still in the Big Ten race until Week 7, when unbeaten Columbus came to town. The Discoverers were led by All-State end Ron Klutman, but it was honorable mention back Bob Heggie, who did most of the damage that night, scoring twice in the second half to erase a 7-0 Tiger lead. The Discoverers repeated that pattern in Norfolk the next week, falling behind early and then turning Heggie touchdowns into a 13-7 win and a berth in the Big Ten playoff against North Platte. Before that game would be played, the Metro would have to declare its first-ever champion. Prep would do its part to keep the pressure on Benson by beating Omaha Tech 14-7 at Rosenblatt. One Prep All-Stater, back Gernon Longo, had a touchdown for the Jays, and the other All-Stater, lineman Sam Buda, keyed the defensive effort. Tech did make a game of it with a big play 52-yard run by speedster Mike Green in the third quarter, but the Trojans only gained 53 other yards in the entire contest. Meanwhile, at Berquist, North was dominating Benson in the mud. Viking All-Stater Herman Pearson, who forced a safety, and Gale's little brother Ron Sayers – yes, he went to North, not Central – Led a defense that only allowed the Bunnies to run two plays in North territory all night long. Two factors the mud created by early week overwatering at the new facility, and Omaha Benson's mysterious decision to play junior Randy Reeves almost exclusively on defense instead of in the offensive backfield combined with that Viking defense to post a 15 0 North shutout. All-Stater and future NFLer Dick Davis had one of the North t- North touchdowns, which uh, helped hand the first-ever Metro title to Creighton Prep. The Junior Jays finished 6-1-1 one one in the conference, while the Bunnies were 5-1-1 one one after that final week loss. So it was the uneven first-year schedule that gave Prep an extra Metro game, the schedule that was devised not for the Metro, but for the ill-fated Queen Cities that gave Prep that first Metro Crown. The next night in Lincoln, the Northeast Rockets were surviving a surprisingly close game with Metro's cellar dweller Bellevue. It took a late Bryce Dobelli TD run and a fumble recovery by quarterback Scott in the last minute to give Northeast the 7 6 win. That win over Bellevue would have put the Rockets in the Quincy's City's championship game, if that league had lived, as the 5-0 champion of the national division. Their opponent would have been a 4-1-1 team from the proposed American division, either Prep or Benson. There is no way to know which, because the tie-breaking procedures of that failed league haven't survived these 50-plus years of history that have gone by. Prep would have won it if they looked at overall record because of Benson's non-conference loss to Fremont. But Benson would have gotten the nod if they compared games against the other division where Prep had only its win over a middling Bishop Ryan while Benson had that win over divisional champ Northeast. Whichever way the decision went, two teams would have had one more chance to impress the Prep Raiders with a league playoff game on November 13th. But, back in reality, 9-0 Columbus had that stage to itself with its game versus North Platte for the Big Ten trophy. North Platte, led by legendary coach Crump Redding, had won the Big Ten in 61-62 and as part of a nine-year Western Division chokehold on the Big Ten title game. That streak would end this year. Discoverer All-Stater Klutman made several big catches as Columbus took control early, and the Bulldog effort was hurt when quarterback and coach's son, Clark Redding, limped off the field early with an injury. The Discoverers dominated the game 27-6, completing a 10-0 season and earning their first ever Big 10 football crown. That was enough to convince the World Herald's Greg McBride, who was making his next to last top 10 list, he would retire and hand over his ratings pen to Condy Sargent after the 65 top 10. McBride put Columbus at number one, followed by Prep, North, Benson, and Northeast. The Lincoln Journal's Dan Forth site went, went a different way, citing Columbus's lack of a big win. That win over 6-3 and three Fremont was the best available on the Discoverer schedule. He went instead with Creighton Prep giving the Junior Jays back-to-back state titles, followed by North and Northeast. He kept Columbus, Class A's only unbeaten team, at number four, and had Boys Town at five and Benson way down at six. But what if the Quin Cities had survived? The winner of a Benson-Northeast rematch or a Prep-Northeast clash might have had enough juice in the ratings to get the winner over the top. For Northeast, they would have avenged their only loss. If Benson had won, it would have been a tougher sell because of that late loss to North, but they would have had a conference title and two wins over the Lincoln champ. For prep, a Quinn Cities playoff championship would likely have been just what it took to push them past Columbus in McBride's mind and make them consensus champs for the second straight season. But bigger picture, if the Quinn Cities had survived, it might have changed Class A in Nebraska forever. If that league would have had staying power, we might, instead of having an Omaha conference, the Metro, and a separate Lincoln out-state one, the Heartland, maybe we would have had a version of the Quin Cities with the largest and oldest schools from both cities, and then a newer one that grew up around the suburban schools, the Millards, the Papillions, the Elkhorns. Each might have had a few out-state schools that stayed in A. Who knows? Well, that's probably enough of the what-if game. There were other classes and other sports going on in the fall of 1964. Let's take a quick who's who look at them. In Class B football, Gothenburg was the consensus state champion. Led by future Kearney State coach Claire Boroff and All-State backs Tom Jobman and Norm Pramberg, the Swedes were unbeaten in the tough Southwest Conference. Two more unbeatens, Crete and Columbus St. Bonaventure, followed in both ratings. The Cardinals tied Class A Beatrice 27-all to start the year and then won eight straight behind repeat All-Stater Leon Muff at end. St. Bonaventure, soon of course to be renamed SCOTUS, was 9-0, including a win over struggling Class A newbie Omaha Beveridge and, more impressively, a 28-19 victory over rated West Point Central Catholic. Both papers had Ord at number four. The Chance had dispatched Aurora easily in the Central Conference playoff game. McBride had Plattsmouth in his top five, despite the Blue Devils' 6-4 and four record. The Exarban Division champs had pushed Class A Blair in the league playoff game, losing 20-19, to and they had wins over Class A teams Nebraska City and Fairbury. Forsyth, in the Lincoln ratings, left the Blue Devils unranked and went instead with unbeaten Laurel, the Laurel Bears, who had been consolid- al- consolidated already with Concord for a couple years, but that was never acknowledged in the papers of the day. Laurel was discounted by McBride for having primarily a Class C schedule. In the second ten, the two Raiders only agreed on Central City and Cozad. Both newspapers chose Husker Conference champions Wisner, in Class C, bolstered by their domination of Madison in the conference playoff game. The Bulldogs, with All-Staters Russ Stiggy, Robert Hurst, and Gene Meyer, won this title wearing their singular school colors of lemon and black. They would put on green when joining Pilger and becoming the Gators in 1969. The lemon-wearing Wisner Bulldogs finished 9-1, their only loss an, an upset by Class B West Point Central Catholic, but with the only win anyone had over number 2 Wakefield. The Trojans were joined in the top five of both Raiders by the Grant Plainsmen, the Hebron Bears, and the Elwood Pirates. Grant and Hall of Fame coach Ed Henfler were 8-0 and had a streak of 34 games going without a loss. Hebron, the Southern Nebraska champ, was 7-2-1, with Class B teams responsible for both those losses and the tie. The Battle Creek Braves, the Bayard Tigers, and the Wymore Zephyrs made the second ten in both papers. All three boasted All-State linemen, Brave Guard Doug Barry, Tiger End Chuck Reynolds, and Zephyr Center Dwayne Swoboda. McBride ranked Wood River number seven. The six and three Eagles were unbeaten against Class C teams and finished the year with a 40-0 to throttling of new Class B school, Grand Island Northwest. More importantly to me, they were led by All-State end, Glenn Mays, my dad. Class D ratings provide a lot of disagreement between Forsyth and McBride. The classification itself seems to have grown from that six-team mini-class we looked at in 1957 on an earlier episode. I'm not sure how big it was, but it was at least 15 teams because they are represented in the two top tens and on the All-State teams. Three teams appeared in both top fives. The Lynch Eagles were McBride's repeat champions, featuring All-Staters Fred Belter and Virgil King. They had lost to Class C O'Neill St. Mary's and were tied 6-6 by the rated Springview Indians in the season opener. The Silver Creek Tigers and All-State lineman Dale Youngdahl were unbeaten at 9-0 and and crowned champions in the Lincoln Papers. McBride, who called uh, Silver Creek the Creekiteers instead of the Tigers, ranked them number three behind Clay Center because the Wildcats had handled the Clarks' Blue Bombers in the season finale much easier than Silver Creek had in a game earlier that season. The Polk Cubs were number two in the Lincoln paper and number five in the World Herald. They were 8-1 uh, with their only loss to Silver Creek, but they also suffered in the Clarks' score comparison game against Clay Center. The Wildcats are a traditional Class D power in the 50s and 60s, playing a heavy Class C schedule that always drew them a lot of ratings consideration. They were just 4-5 and five in 1964, but drew the number 2 spot from McBride in the World Herald ratings. Backs Greg Thomas and Robert Stitch were both All-State. Elgin St. Boniface, they were the knights then, changing to crusaders when they became Pope John, also drew ratings in both papers, as did the Edgar Eagles, those Springview Indians, and the Dalton Tigers. In the years since 1957, man has taken over for 6-Man in most parts of the state, and that's about all you hear about in the papers of the day. Madrid and Coach Bob Briggs were McBride's 8-Man state champion the orange and black wearing Pirates, who boasted two-time All-State back Larry Vlassen, uh, would see their school close three years later in 1967, morphing into the consolidated Wheatland Spartans. In the Lincoln Papers, the eight-man state champion was a brand new consolidation south of the capital city. The red-clad Hickman Bulldogs and the blue-uniformed Firth Wildcats had joined together to become the red, white, and blue Norris Titans. Evidently, the uh, black and white Roca Rockets had closed eight years earlier and were left out of the new color scheme. The modern-day Class B Titans started out in eight-man football and went 7-0-1 in their first year behind All-State center Wayne Wilson. Their only blemish was a tie with Tecumseh in a game played with 11-man rules. McBride's eight-man All-State captain was Larry Frost of Malcolm. I understand his son's name has been back in the Nebraska newspapers lately. The only other sport contested in the fall of 1964 was cross-country, and the 64-state meet was run in Lincoln, but not at Pioneers Park. It was run instead at Seacrest Park. Now, the football field, Seacrest Stadium, was already in place by 1964, but I don't think the construction of Lincoln East High School, which would open in 67, had started yet. Now, I'm unsure of exactly the route around the East Campus that the race took that day, but it is possible that it crossed the building's current footprint. Races were held in classes A, B, and C. The upset of the day was in the smallest class, where Sterling Jet Jack Wires upset two-time defending champion Frank Terja. Terja had been the Class C champ in '63 and the Class B champ in 1962. His Tiger team still captured the team, team title, though, edging the Hebron Bears. The Class A race was the fastest and the closest. Elliot Evans of Omaha Bishop Ryan completed an undefeated season covering the 1.9 miles in just 10 minutes and 34 seconds, a whole one second ahead of Hastings' Tom Ackles and three seconds in front of Omaha North's Bruce Sheffield. Sheffield's North team won the team title ahead of Bishop Ryan in Omaha Central. That runner-up finish may be the top finish for the Knights in school history. They opened in 1958 and closed in 1983. Ainsworth ran away from the Class B field behind Phil Medcalf and Melvin Campbell, who finished second and third. Bloomfield's Bruce Jorgensen nipped Medcalf at the tape to take the individual gold. Well, that's it for our trip back to the fall of 1964. We'll be back next week with another story from the Nebraska High School Sports History Books. Until then... We love to hear from you on Twitter, where our handle is at SuitUpVarsity. Or on Facebook, where our page is at facebook.com slash varsity. Or you can check out our show notes page at suitingupvarsity.org. When you get there, you can ask questions about Nebraska High School sports history, leave suggestions for future episodes. Tell us who you think should have been named state football champion in 64 or answer this episode's trivia question. What were Omaha Bishop Ryan's nickname and school colors? We hope to hear from you soon. Also, if you like this podcast, take time to rate us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you find your podcasts. It helps helps others to find our show. Even one star rating and one rate and one uh, comment can really move us up in the algorithm that helps people search for us this has been suiting up varsity season two episode four part two written and produced by me greg mays technical and research assistance by my brothers, Tate Mays and Trin Mays, helpful audio advice and encouragement from Chris Shookeye, and as always, dedicated to Jerry Mathers, the godfather of Nebraska high school sports and the inspiration for this podcast. Suiting Up Varsity is the anchor show of the Nebraska Varsity Network. Copyright 2017.